Welcome to another episode of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on social media at MMALOTN. This week, we are going over UFC London, headlined by a banger of a heavyweight fight. We got Tom Aspinall taking on the toughest test to date since he stepped foot inside the octagon. He's going up against heavyweight standout and wrestling killer. Curtis Blades, very tough fight for uh, Tom Aspinall to have uh, in his home country, in front of a live crowd. Uh, and yeah, this is this is the fight. If he wins this fight, you know, there's a damn good argument that you can be like, all right, let's give this guy a title shot. So a lot of interesting stipulations surrounded are surrounding this main event. Uh, and, you know, again, once again, being the biggest test of Aspinall's career, it should answer even more questions for us. Um, yeah, I, I can't wait for it. There's so many good fights on this card. Hermanson versus Curtis in the co-main event. Patty Pimblett trying to get another highlight reel finish. The return of Alexander Gustafson to a 205 pounds. Volkan Uzdemir versus Paul Craig. Great fight. Mason Jones finally coming back, stepping inside the cage against Ludovic Klein. Uh, Mark Diakese against uh, Demir Hadzvich. How many goddamn fights are on this card? 14 fights on this card. Seems like, you know, for a UFC London card, a lot of the time they just uh, fill out the card with, um, you know, whatever fights uh, on the prelims. But there's some bangers on this on these prelim fights or on this prelim portion of the card. Maquan Amerikani against Jonathan Pierce. Charles Johnson making his UFC debut uh, against Mohamed Mukhaev. Jai Herbert against the hard-hitting Kyle Nelson. Plenty of great fights to sink our teeth into, and I'm going to be breaking down all 14 of those fights for you guys in a matter of moments. But as I always like to do, let's go over the betting recap of the last event, and that is one sec. Uh, the last event, which was UFC Vegas or sorry, UFC Long Island. Um, come up on the short end of the stick by 0.22 units, so just shy of half a unit of uh, of a loss there. But very happy with myself in terms of the underdogs I was able to pick. A, a little bit upset of myself for getting a loss in the uh, in the props, which ended up being the reason I ended up being in uh, taking an L on that card. So let's go through those props that I lost on first. Then we'll talk about the rest of the card. Uh, first of which, Li Jingliang and Muslim Salikov to go over two and a half rounds. I got a little bit overzealous in terms of how Salikov slows down fights to his pace. Li Jingliang wanted none of that as he seemed to want to push the pace the entire time. And it was just a matter of moments before he eventually landed that big bomb, which he did at the ending of the second round. Got Muslim Salikov out of there. And that crashes our over two and a half round bet. Also crashing was uh, Algio to win in round three or decision two units at plus 140. You know, I didn't think that Herbert Burns was going to have that big of a gas tank dump, um, but he did. Couldn't make it to the third round. Ultimately, Algio wins that fight due to exhaustion almost, it seems like. He's beating the crap out of Herbert Burns, but uh, Burns really seemed to gas himself early in that fight, especially trying to lock up that uh, that triangle choke that he had to no avail. Algio, slippery as he always is, manages to uh, beat down Herbert Burns and finish him in the second round. Like I said, I had round three slash decision at plus 140. That does not end up cashing. 
Then we get to the last prop that doesn't end up hitting, which is the fight goes to decision for Ricky Simone versus Jack Shore. Um, I was expecting a little bit more durability from the Jack Shore side of things. I did expect if, if, if there was a finish, it would have been from the Jack Shore side of things. But Ricky Simone showing off the big power that he's uh, that he has. He obviously showed, obviously showed it off in his last fight against Hafiela Sunsau. Uh, but he once again shows it with a beautifully timed counter uh, and eventually a, a submission there to finish Jack Shore. So I actually had a bet on Ricky Simone, one unit at plus 134, but I end up taking a you know a point, whatever, the 0.66 unit loss on the fight as a whole. Uh, I got a, you know, I should have been smarter in terms of how I distributed my units there as I was pretty confident in the Ricky Simone side, but I felt just a tad bit more confident that the fight would likely go to a decision, uh, which is why we ended up losing 0.66 units on that fight. Uh, then we go on to the other loss of the night, which was Charles Jordan, one unit at plus 145. I thought he won that fight. I really did. Like, let me know in the chat, please. Uh, what, how did you guys score? Um, how did you guys score that Charles Jordan and Shane Burgos fight? Like, I watched it after the fact. I didn't watch it live. Obviously, I was a bit wrapped up that evening. But uh, yeah, after watching that fight, I thought Charles actually deserved the decision there. Obviously, round three. I thought round one, he did more of the damage uh, to Shane Burgos. Thought he deserved to get his hand raised. Unfortunately, he didn't. Um, so we end up taking a loss there. If he gets the decision there, we end up in profit. But is what it is. All right, let's rifle through the quick wins here. So one unit on Lauren Murphy at plus 181. Very happy to hit that one there. Felt that was a very sharp spot. A lot of people expected the grappling of Misha Tate to shine through there. But Lauren Murphy is a tough son of a gun or daughter of a gun, if you want to call it. Um Tough to take down, tough to hold down, uh, especially where Misha Tate is at in her career. I just didn't expect her to get past that form of Lauren Murphy, so I was happy to catch that plus 181 for one unit there. Uh, secondly, Dustin Jacoby, dog of the night play there, two units at plus 107. Very happy from what we saw that night. Um, say what you want about the quick stoppage is what it is. Uh, Jacoby was just getting more and more wormed up there. Sure, Jung possibly could have knocked him out should that fight have gone longer as well, but I think that Dustin Jacoby showcased why he was the better striker that night and probably always will be the better striker, so I'm happy that we ended up cashing that, especially in a fight that was heavily debated the entire fight week, and we saw a lot of line movement in that fight as well. Not only did Dustin Jacoby get it done for me, but also Dustin Stoltzfus. Shout out to the Dustins. Uh, Stolzfus just digs a little bit deeper than Dwight Grant. Pretty much just grinds him out for the majority of that fight. Cast out one unit at plus 120. And then kicking off the night, ended up with a W here on Emily Ducati. Two units at minus 155. I really should have made her my lock of the night play. Like I was that confident in her that I should have made her an even bigger play. I think the UFC debut kind of shook me a little bit. Uh, but she showed just from the jump that she was the better fighter, especially at that point in their career. So big shout out to Emily Ducati for getting a big win in her UFC debut. But like I said, we end up minus 0.22 units, which is just not a good look. I'm going to try to taper off the props a little bit. I got to go back to like my unders. Unders is where I find my most success when I'm talking about props. But I think the vast majority of my betting should be based around my straight picks because that is where I make the most amount of money. All right. Um, do, 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 do. Yeah, if anybody, let's see here. 
Jordan Shep said uh, 29, 28 Burgos or 28, 28. Um, what else did you guys score here? Joshua Frick says he thought Jordan won because of the third. I worst it was a draw. Um, Finesse God said Jordan won that. Feel bad for my Canadian boy. Uh, Cody Yakeholtz says Burgos slightly edged it. Alex Rezzi says Jordan won. They know. Burgos sells New York tickets being from there. So the judges, it's a funny business. I wouldn't count that out. Uh, Fender Jazz says media scores are 98 for Jordan and the 10-point must system. It's close. Judged as a whole, like in one, I think it was Jordan easy, even though I cashed on Burgos. Jimmy Bedtime said Burgos got the first two rounds. Again, first round was close. I'm not going to count robbery or call robbery or anything like that, but... Um, yeah, is what it is. I was glad. Like, if you want to talk about from a value perspective, I think I got value on that plus 145 on Jordan. But at the end of the day, we're not cashing that ticket. Shout out to everybody in the chat here. If you guys haven't already, please share you please make sure you guys hit that like to show that little bit of support. Now let's get into actually let me just do the quick plug for my uh for my Patreon as I normally do. Nope, that's Prediction Strike. Patreon, five bucks a month. Link is in the description below. Best Pets and Props article, great Discord community, and a bunch of other shit that I need to start adding there. Pay-per-view parlay for the patrons. I put 5% of my Patreon take on uh, parlay chosen by the patrons. If it cashes, I give it out to a random Patreon member. Let's fucking go. Also, kind of early with the breakdowns this week compared to what I've been doing over the last couple of weeks. So I'm actually going to get a head start on UFC 277 starting tomorrow. Um, and I'll be dropping the best bets and props article starting with that uh, tomorrow on the Patreon. So if you want some 277 stuff, make sure you guys check it out. Joshua Frick asking, how did the pup do at the race lock? I didn't take my pup, but we did go see a couple of them. I did see Cody as well. Didn't get to say hi to him, but uh, did manage to see him while I was out there. Fun, fun times. Appreciate you asking, Joshua. Uh, a couple people asking about Chemaev and Nate and as well as Islam and Oliveira. We are here to talk about UFC London. I, Whenever I do a Lockheed late night episode, I'll be happy to take any and all questions. But let's try to keep the questions for UFC London because not only is this a live podcast, it does go up on all my audio platforms as well. So I don't I want to make it listenable for those uh, listeners as well. And again, if you didn't know that, uh, you can listen to my MMA Lockcast as well as the Ultimate Wayne Show on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, all the podcasting platforms. They're usually up there probably, you know, if not immediately, usually by 24 hours after the podcast has concluded on the live stream. All right. Let's not waste any more time. Let me wet, wet my whistle real quick, and then we'll get into the first fight of this 14-fight UFC London card. All right. <clears throat> also, um, <clears throat> shout out to my guys, uh, Brandon Olivas and uh, Santino DeFranco. Santino, obviously, in London right now. He's going to be cornering JSP. But uh, Brandon put up the lock signal, and I was able to answer the call. I actually just got off recording with him for his podcast, uh, you know, just about 45 minutes ago. I believe they said they're going to throw it up on their uh, on their YouTube channel 
by tomorrow morning. So if you guys want to hear me with Brandon, you guys can definitely go and check that out. Gorilla Gambles with the Dono. Appreciate the love there, my friend. He's saying, always appreciate your talk, lock. This is going for a leave it, twerk, 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 twerk. <laughs> for you, I hope he ends up winning. I truly appreciate the super chat. Greatly appreciate it. Uh, Brandon say, Marathon Man tonight. You already know, man. I'm in the groove. I want to talk MMA. We'll talk about this card. MMA Bet Sharp says, nice to have you back, Lock. Looking forward to listening to the Olivas podcast. Appreciate the love and support as always. Gorilla saying, by the way, Tio took it is in the building. Let's go. Supporter from pretty much day one. Shout out to my guy, Tio took it. Uncle Weezy, I might actually hit you up for uh, the, the podcast this weekend, my friend. If you are free, not this weekend, but on Friday. If you are free, I would love to have you on the Ultimate Wayne Show. I'll slide into your DMs to try to get that going but uh been too long since i've talked to you my friend it would be great to have you on the show and i'm sure my followers would appreciate that as well he's saying hell yeah i was wondering if brandon was going to be solo for the podcast podcast this week next year lock is going to join him yes it was fun all right let us go and fabian saying congrats on the wedding thank you brother it's been almost two and a half or a month and a half now but i truly appreciate it all right let's not waste any more time let's get into the breakdowns that's what you guys are here for so let's fucking do it first fight of the night According to Topology, Claudio Silva versus Nicholas Dalby. In terms of odds, and I swear I had best fight odds just loaded up right now. I'm going to have to load it up again. Uh, minus 250 for Nicholas Dalby, plus 210 the return on Claudio Silva. Now, Claudio Silva is a guy I've cashed on in the past. You know, I had him pretty big against Danny Roberts. Felt like I got a bit of a gift there with that phantom tap, if anybody remembers that fight. Um, you know, he is... That guy, that's he's the the middleweight, or I believe this is middleweight, right? I I don't know why I feel like this is welterweight. Let me uh, quickly confirm that. Yeah, welterweight. Sorry, why did I say middleweight? Uh, he's thick like a middleweight, <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, but he is the welterweight version of Hani Yaya. Goes out there, throws big strikes, looks to either try to knock you down, get a club and sub situation going, or get close enough to you that he can try to put his paws on you and drag this fight to the ground. And if he's able to get you to the ground, more than not, more often than not, he's going to be able to snatch up that neck and try to get you out of there and uh, win via submission. That usually is his way to go. But let's just look at some of the names that he's beat since being in the UFC. With the exception on Leon Edwards, which is a big win, split decision win for him there, but a win regardless. Brad Scott, Nordin Taleb, Danny Roberts, Cole Williams. Three out of four of those guys are probably outside of the UFC, if I'm not mistaken. Danny Roberts coming uh, off a loss now as well uh, to Francisco Tronaldo in his last fight. Not a good look to be losing to Masaran Duba in 2022. But those are the guys that Claudio Silva is beating. When he gets steps up in competition, again, with the exception of the Leon Edwards fight from 2014, that was eight years ago, He's lost to James Krause, that was in 2020, and he lost to Court McGee, which is in 2021. And uh, he was scheduled to fight Gunnar Nelson earlier this year. That did not transpire. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, did Gunnar end up losing that fight? No, yeah, he beat uh, Takashi Sato that night. Uh, yeah, so he's going up against Nicholas Dalby here, who's a solid all-around fighter, right? Decent takedowns, decent striking. If you are proficiently better at one thing than him, and you are able to keep it in that realm, you're likely going to beat him. Like Tim Means was able to beat him in his last fight, right? The Danny Rodriguez fight, sketchy fight. 
I thought Rodriguez inched that one out, but it was a very close fight. Before that, he obviously got clubbed and subbed by uh, Jesse Ronson, made his uh, you know triumphant return to the UFC after that bloodbath of a fight uh, against Ross Pearson. Uh, he made his debut in the UFC again, or sorry, um, re-debuted, if you want to call it that, or returned to the UFC with that win over Alex Cowboy Oliveira in September of 2019. Hard-fought win. If you guys remember, that was one of those spots where I think Alex Oliveira had solid top position in the third round. The referee took the position away from him, and then Nicholas Dalby ended up getting the position and riding out that win. So a sketchy win for him there. But, you know, this is one of those fights that if he plays it smart, if he portions out his gas tank properly, manages his gas tank properly, he should be able to stick and move and keep Claudio Silva on the outside. There was just a part of me that thinks he just slips somewhere. Claudio Silva ends up getting his back, ends up choking him out or something like that. I do not trust Nicholas Dalby at minus 250. He should win this fight. He should be able to, you know, maintain his cardio well here. Uh, Pitter-patter Claudio Silva from the outside. Keep that distance. Keep moving. Keep this fight vertical. And if he can do that, he will likely outlast Claudio Silva. Now, one of the narratives I've been hearing in a bunch of Claudio Silva fights is that he's a bad gasser, which is absolutely true. The guy just gasses the fuck out. If he's not able to get you out of there quickly, more often than not, he's going to start to gas out. Although he does have a couple of decision wins and third round victories under his belt, the body language just doesn't look the greatest later in fights. It was evident in the James Krause fight. It was evident in the Cormac Gee fight. But one thing that is, you know, a fact now is it's tough to put this guy late in fight or tough to put this guy away late in fights. Um, so don't be banking on round three finish props against a guy like Claudio Silva. Cause that seems to be the talk of the town almost any time, uh, He's in the cage now. You know, after he got uh, after Nicholas Dalby originally got released from the UFC, he did have a couple round three and round four finishes uh, in the cage warrior scene. So he can definitely pick up the pace a later fight goes. But I'm not sure if he's going to willingly extend himself here in in hopes of not getting caught by Claudio Silva and anything. You know, whether it's getting tripped or whether it's giving up his back or something like that. Like I think that Dalby needs to be very mindful, mind his p's and q's, uh, stay as disciplined as possible, keep this fight on the feet, and just chip away from Silva from the outside. I just don't think it's worth a minus two fifty price tag. That's me personally. I'm picking him to win. There's a lot of chalky favorites on this card who are worth parlaying and will likely not be that sweaty of a of a chalky parlay piece. I think Nicholas Dalby will make you sweat for your money, and I think it's going to be difficult to for him to go out there and look minus 250. You know, I, I just don't trust him, but I'm going to pick him to win this fight. Uh, do, 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 do. Uncle Weezy taking me up on my Friday suggestion. Let's fucking go. Totally down for that. Uh, do, 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 do. where are you guys at? Where are you guys at? Matt Poulin, Paulin's in the chat. Appreciate you stopping by. Gary Philbrick saying thing first round sub for Silva's live. That is normally live in his fights. Let's see what the price tag is on that. Because if that's in the four digits, then might be worth a little bit of a sprinkle. Silva's round one submission plus 1,000. So just in the fourth four-digit mark. Not a bad line. Oh, <laughs> Manana. 
our tech guy is in London. I love it. Tio took it with a $10 dono. Appreciate the love, my friend. Always appreciate the super chats. You guys are fucking awesome for going to that extent to support your boy. He's saying, hey, Locke, I'm a ca- cannabis gardener these days now. But when I tune into MMA, Captain, you're my guard, brother. Let's get it. Appreciate it. Love it. Uh, Casanova Trap saying, you from Toronto? I'd better be if I'm rocking the full Raptors gear right now. <laughs> uh, Jordan Shep saying, how much is too much on Uzmir? Just wait till we get to that fight. Uh, Thomas West saying, "Who was in that with? Who was in that post? You, who was in that you posted today? I'm telling. I think he's talking about the picture that I posted. It was a uh, Vanderlei Silva. Vanderlei fucking Silva." My 1A and 1B with Maurizio Shogunhua as my favorite fighters of all time. Joshua Frick saying, first fight of the night should never be minus 250. Again, every matchup is different. Matt Pollen saying Silva's on his way out of the UFC. Possible. XBO saying, hey, what's good luck, Chad? Let's break down some fights. You know what it is. Yo, there was this black man right saying Berju is a lock. Interesting. My son Jay Bot. <laughs> T dot stand up. Let's go. All right, let's get back to the fight. So prediction: Dalby just not loving the price tag. Next up, we got Victoria Leonardo coming in at plus 110, going up against Mandy Baum, who comes in at minus 130. Now, for some reason, I had this different image of Mandy Baum in my head when uh, I first saw the odds. When I first saw the odds, it was minus 150 for Mandy Baum. And I'm like, this line seems like a gift. Like, we should go out there and hammer Mandy Baum at minus 150. She should touch up Victoria Leonardo from the outside. And then I ran the tape. I'm like, who did I think Mandy Baum was? Yes, she has decent striking but it doesn't seem to have that zip or that that power that sting that uh, melissa gato has because i i kind of look at them as somewhat similar fighters in terms of how they're built and the you know what i thought their striking style was like and Mandy bomb you know she does rely on the strike she does have some decent clinch work as well but i think she just lacks a little bit of that grittiness that's going to be required to beat a girl like victoria leonardo now i'm not a big Victoria or fan like I don't think she's the greatest fighter but she does have that fighting nature in her that I do believe will will her to this win here you know I do think she'll be able to uh, wane forward I do think she'll be able to get her hands on Mandy Baum and I think she'll be able to drag her to the ground and probably rough her up in that aspect but like her she's she'll be at a speed deficiency or disadvantage disadvantage and I think uh, if she can overcome that she should be able to start to take over this fight the later that it goes you know, Leonardo, sketchy gas tank to a certain extent, but it truly depends on the type of opponent she's facing, the type of resistance she's facing, the adversity that she's going to face. Because you're not coming back from that beatdown that that Melissa Gato was putting on you before you broke your arm. You could possibly come back from a little, uh, you know, adversity from Mandy Baum, right? Mandy doesn't seem like this barn burner, this this woman that she's just going to touch her up on the outside and just stay safe at distance. I don't think her 
distance management is that great. I think she's still kind of green. And Leonardo, although she's not great at one thing, she's decent for what we have, right? And I think at underdog odds, you can't go wrong uh, taking even value here on Leonardo, as I do think she'll be able to make this a, a full MMA fight, which will likely be the uh, downfall of Bomb. You know, Bomb's going to need a 15-minute kickboxing match here to find success, in my opinion. For Leonardo, you know, she's going to get touched off from the outside for a little bit, but if she continues to, you know, move forward, put the pressure on her, um, you know, change levels, look for takedowns, I think she could find her uh, success here, and I think she could get her hand raised. So I'm going to go with Victoria Leonardo to pull off the upside here in the second fight. I think I think it's a good spot, honestly. Thomas Westing, that's for answering. I didn't mean that pick from earlier. I'm the dolt that thought it was GSP. I'd <laughs> love to see the lucky late night lucky. No worries, my man. Fabian saying Leonardo Curtis plus 200. Ooh, you a madman. Wakis saying, Mampri, thanks for introducing me to Brandon Olivas. To me on your show a few months ago, I was instantly a fan of how he views the fights and excellent insights. Been a big of his since. No worries, man. Guys like him deserve uh the the love and respect for sure. Gary Felbrook saying any plus money against Manny Bum is worth a shot. I don't mind that analysis at all. Joshua saying bomb gas tank really sketch as well. Um, Uncle Weezy saying I bet Victoria for one unit at plus 124. Bomb is terrible and the level of competition they face isn't close. I like it. XBL saying Leo train right out. Let's go. Mr. Always Profit in the chat. Appreciate you stopping by. William Hagmeister saying UFC London is going to be a good one. Hoping we get some rounds in the main event so we can put the cardio argument to rest regarding Aspinall. I like that. Jimmy Bedtime saying Leonardo sub, lock it in. I don't mind it. Mr. Always Profit saying Simone and Jacoby last week. Let's fucking go. Oh. All right. Let's move on to the next fight here after I wet the whistle once again. We're looking at more chalk. We got Jaya Herbert at minus 265 going up against Kyle Nelson, fellow Canadian. <clears throat> Pretty easy, simple fight to break down here. Very, very easy fight to break down in terms of uh, the styles of these guys. Herbert more probably technically better as a striker. Solid kickboxing, good technique. Definitely the better fighter here, without a doubt. Will likely touch up Kyle Nelson for the majority of this fight. Possibly puts him out later in this fight as well. But there's just that glass chin. That glass jaw of Herbert that could, you know, go awry at any moment. And Nelson definitely has the power to put it out. 
If, you, if people remember his UFC debut against Carlos Diego Ferreira, which he took on less than a week's notice, you'll remember him putting Diego Ferreira a little bit on skates earlier in that fight. Emptied the gas tank early, knowing that's likely his only path to victory. Ends up losing that fight. But, you know, we saw him obviously knock out Marco Polo Reyes recently or, you know, two fights ago. That's how he wins, right? Finding that big punch, finding the button, putting his opponents out. He could do that against Jai Herbert here, right? Jai, even though he has, he usually always has a solid um, uh, range management ability to just stick on the outside and kind of just pick apart his opponent from there. He's usually good at that. So he'll have a six-inch reach advantage as well as a two-inch height advantage in this fight. And you know he'll be looking to use the majority of that to keep uh, Colin Nelson at bay. But, you know, one shot could end the night for Jai Herbert, which is not a good look at all. Like, that was the worry in the Kama Worthy fight. He ends up pulling that one off, knocking him out. And, and his losses, you know, like, two solid rounds of outworking Francisco Trinaldo, beating him to the punch and just whooping his ass. And then he gets knocked the fuck out late in that fight. And that's Moicano, you know. He had showed off some good submission defense early in that fight, but eventually gave it up in, uh, you know, the ending of that second round. Ilya Taporia almost beat him, right? Almost knocked him out. Had him on skates numerous times. Couldn't get the finish. I was going up against Kyle Nelson. This seems more of a thanks for taking all these tough fights. Let's get you a dub back on the board. And I hate, I hate to say that, right? Especially against a guy in Kyle Nelson who, like, he, he's fought on a on a card that I used to work back in the day, Substance Cage Combat, his fourth ever professional fight. He won a split decision against my guy, Neelan Hordat, which, you know, I thought Hordat deserved to win that fight, is what it is. Uh, but, you know, won some good fights. He even won on the second show that we did, Substance Cage Combat 2, choking out an Olympic-level wrestler in 42 seconds. Then he takes his first ever career loss, and then he puts, a, puts together, a, what is that, a six... Seven fight winning streak, including a win over Kamal Worthy on the regional scene, uh, and then getting that uh, that short notice call to the UFC. Also won against Jonathan Brookins on the regional scene. Shout out to anybody that remembers Jonathan Brookins. But it comes down to him finding that knockout blow. Plus six hundred on him to win by knockout. Not too bad of a gamble if you're a, a risky person. But I do think that Jai Herbert touches him up. I think Herbert can finish him as well. The spot fight doesn't go to decision minus 300. See, the, the bookmakers are sneaky here by putting the total or the, at least the widely available total at uh, minus 105 at one and a half as well. Because it could finish early. It could go a little bit deeper. I would rather stay safe with the fight doesn't go to decision and parlay that with something than take the over under one and a half. I would also feel safer taking that chalk on the fight doesn't go to decision than taking Jai Herbert Minus 275 straight up because he could get chinned here. So I'm going to go Jai Herbert. Jai Herbert probably second or third round finish, but I don't mind that fight doesn't go to decision. I was a little bit skeptical at first about Nelson's ability and he might be able to survive and go a full 50 minutes here. But the more that I'm thinking about it, man, Herbert is going to be touching him the fuck up. Pumbaa's picks reminding us that this will be the first fight for Kyle Nelson up to 145 pounds or 155 pounds, which is actually a, a spot that I overlooked. We'll see if the if his power can carry over one more weight class and if he can implement it effectively. 
William Hagmaster saying these guys want to bang. Give me a fight doesn't go to decision. I like it. XPO saying under one and a half, lock it up and lock it in. Again, the, the one and a half sketches me out. Hasnain Khan, appreciate you stopping by, my friend. Uh, Pumba saying Jai is very solid on the feet, just zero durability, exactly. Jordan Shep saying Jai Herbert, more like Die Herbert after that KO from <laughs> Tapuria. I love it. Uncle Weezy saying, I trust Jai to bring violence, either landing it or observing it. I have 2.6 2. units. I'm minus 260 on fight. doesn't go to decision here. Both Nelson and Herbert throw bombs. I love it. I love it. I love it. Gorilla Gamble saying, Tapuri is my dog. He dropped Herbert and laid eyes open. Herbert is chinny, for sure. Fender Jazz saying, Brookings was so cool. Missing that dude fight. Yeah. Apparently, he went all hippie. I think he like moved to India or some shit and started doing yoga or whatever. But uh, yeah, not fighting as much, if I'm not mistaken. Gary Philbeck saying Herbert got knocked out four months ago. I'm surprised. Uh, that's that that uh, that quick from him returning. Who was it the other card that like returned quickly from getting knocked out? And it was too quick. I feel like it was on one of the more recent cards. Uh, Shane Burgos? No. There was somebody that just got deaded recently and made a quick turnaround. Hmm. I can't seem to... Ooh, Jamie Malarkey. I think it was Jamie Malarkey. Yeah, I think it was Jamie. Or Kennedy. Either way, somebody came back too quick from getting knocked out. I don't think they ended up getting knocked out. But we'll see if it happens here with Jai Herbert. Um, the disrespect in here on, uh, <laughs> on uh, Jai Herbert at a certain extent is hilarious. Chicken dinner in the chat. Love seeing that name around. Appreciate you, Chick. Ah, Alex Rezzi saying Chanel. Could have been Chanel. Brandon said it was the fawn. There was somebody who just got knocked out. And he was facing another heavy puncher. Either way, I'm not going to remember. So I'm going to go Herbert. Herbert finishes probably second or third round. Fight doesn't go to decision. Will probably be a parley, parlay piece as well. All right, let us move on to the next fight. We got Charles Johnson plus 370 going up against Mohamed Mokhaev. Um, uh, minus 460 on Mokhaev, plus 370 on Johnson, this line is off. Plain and simple, this line is off. You know, there's all that hype on Mukayev, understandable to a certain extent. But when you run the tape deep enough, you see some of the things that he could shore up. 
And yeah, he's had this tremendous undefeated amateur record, which is what initially got him all this hype and why he's such a highly touted prospect. Great win in his UFC debut against Cody Durden. Would have been interested to see that one go a little bit deeper. But Charles Johnson is a dog, man. That guy's going to be hard to put away. And if he can't, if Makayev can't put him away early, Johnson can wear him. Johnson's the better striker. Johnson's scrambling is probably good enough to hang with Makayev to keep the standing so that he can get better, get off on the better strikes. You know, current LFA champion, probably stripped now because he's in the UFC. Beat a highly touted prospect in his last fight. Finished him in the fifth round of a highly entertaining fight in uh, Carlos Mota. Johnson is not a plus 370 dog. He should not be this big of a dog. I understand closer to plus 150, but this is all hype on Mokhaev's name right now. Need to take advantage of plus 370 Charles Johnson. I will likely lock in that bet after I hop hop off uh, the stream, but I think he's a very good underdog. Will likely be my dog of the night play, but he's going to make this fight very competitive. I don't think the wrestling of Mokhaev is going to be super... um, Super effective in this fight. I don't think that Mokayev looks minus 460 here. He might win this fight still, as there are times where Charles Johnson gets a little lackadaisical. I've seen the comparison to him being like, you know, the the fe- or the, the flyweight Bobby Green with kicks, <laughs> which I kind of see, but like his striking is so slick. It's fast. He might even have the speed advantage in this fight. Mokhaev is still working on his striking. And if this fight ends up being a striking battle with Charles Johnson able to stop takedowns, Johnson will have massive success. So I'm going Charles Johnson, springing the upside here. I was intrigued by it first because I watched his last fight against Carlos Mota just to watch Carlos Mota. I was super impressed with Mota. And then seeing what Johnson was able to do from to him and then seeing him get the call here against Mokhaev and then running the tape, I think he's a solid spot here. If you can pick out these spots often enough and get it right enough, you're good. William Hagmaster saying Johnson's good. I like him. Suspect line hard out to take stat plus 250, but I do like Makayev. Yeah. John Johnson is a side here. Gotta be. Oh okay. Let us move on to the next fight, which is Ludovic Klein against Mason Jones. Another chalky spot. That's what this card seems to be filled with. Mason Jones, like I said, minus 320, Ludovic Klein plus 265. This is one of those fights that has me a little bit scared, right? Mason Jones should win this fight. He's a more active fighter. Uh, You know, good striking, good volume, good takedowns, good ground game. He has so many things to his advantage in this fight that he should be able to take over and, and win the majority of this fight. Maybe even find a finish later in this fight. Klein mainly relies on his southpaw stance, from his southpaw stance, that left straight down the middle and that left head kick. 
if he can get those things going, he will likely find the kill shot on his on his opponents, right? A lot of his win conditions come from him finishing his opponents because he just doesn't really do that much offensively speaking. Yes, he won a decision in his last fight. A lot of that was him being able to overpower Devontae Smith up against the cage, push him up against the cage, get close to six minutes of control time in the cage. But I'd be surprised if Jones gets stuck in those spots. I think Jones has great cardio. I think Jones is very good in the clinch position should he get pushed into that, those spots. But I do like Jones in the spot. I just think that Jones will outwork Klein and possibly finish him later on in this fight. I don't mind the fight doesn't go to decision, which currently sits at... Um, where is it? Uh, fight doesn't go to decision, minus 180. A little chalky, but I could see a finish transpire on both sides, whether it's Mason Jones just beating the piss out of Klein and you know finishing him later in this fight, or Klein finding that Hail Mary shot and putting Jones out. I get it. Jones has supreme durability. His chin is godlike. We saw him take all the shots in the world against Mike Davis and continue to chug forward. But at any point, that chin is going to break, and Ludovic Klein has the power to break it. But I'm still going Jones. Jones, probably round two or round three. He wins this fight pretty much everywhere as long as he doesn't get knocked the fuck out. I'm already reaching the 40-minute mark of this podcast, and we are... Uh, how many fights do this? It looks like I did deviate from, uh, from Tapology's order. Uh, we are on the fifth fight. We still got nine more fights to go. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pepper down a little bit on the live chat here. Appreciate everybody banging it out in the live chat. Make sure you guys hit that like as well if you haven't already. But I want to start to uh, swing through some of these fights a little bit quicker. Also considering that it's 2:15 a.m. over here. <laughs> All right, let us move on to the next fight. Jonathan Pierce minus 200 against Maquan Americani at plus 170. Good fight for Jonathan Pierce in my opinion in this spot. I think he is. Very well prepared for Amir Khani. Obviously, me and my guy, Brandon Olivas, talked about it uh, on his podcast. You guys will be able to hear that. But I think I think Brandon broke it down very well. You know, Brandon's very, uh, not very close with Pierce, but at least he, you know, is very close with the coaching staff of Pierce. Um, obviously, Santiago DeFranco going to be in the corner of him there. But I think that Pierce has this submission defense game here. I think he has the striking advantage. I think he has the overall MMA advantage, not to mention the cardio advantage. Now, I get it. People might be like, hey, what about his last fight against Christian Rodriguez? Like, you start gassing against him. Still won that fight. But I think that as people see Christian Rodriguez's career start to play out, they'll start to see that fight as like, oh, he hung with, not hung, but like he had a solid fight. Um, uh, against against Christian Rodriguez, who's gonna be be a force in my opinion once he fights at his proper weight class. Now he's finally settled at a gym, I believe, down there in Arizona, fight ready or siege MMA. But uh, yeah, I think I think that fight was more so an anomaly and and based on how skilled Rodriguez actually is. Amir Khan is not that level. I would probably even look at betting Christian Rodriguez against Maquan Amir Khan if I'm being honest. <laughs> With that said, though, I still do think that Pierce will stay safe in this fight. I think he has the better gas tank here. I think he'll be able to keep it upright. I think he'll be able to touch up Amir Khani on the feet. 
I'm not counting out that he puts out Amir Khani later in this fight. I think he could go the full 50 minutes and touch him up from the from distance. I trust that the coaching staff and all these guys have gotten Pierce ready for that and Connor Choke and Darce Choke because that's really all Amir Khani has, in my opinion, in this fight. So give me Pierce. Give me Pierce. Either later finish or decision. I think he's a pretty solid, pretty solid spot at minus 200, and I might actually pull the trigger straight up on him here at minus 200. All right, let us move on to the next fight. Heavy chalk once again. We got Mr. Nathaniel Wood coming in at minus 520. Plus 410, the return on Charles Rosa. Interesting fight here. Kind of. Like, I'm always intrigued by Nathaniel Wood fights. Because I'm still trying to get a beat on, like, what he does specifically that makes him so successful. Great striker. Has a solid jiu-jitsu game. You know, he's getting a hang of how to use his range and his distance. You know, obviously he had that slip up against uh, John Dodson a couple years ago. But Nathaniel Wood just seems to be, you know, getting better and better every time we see him out there. His last two losses have come to Casey Kenny and John Dodson. The Dodson fight, I don't know why I thought that was like 2018 or something like that, but that was uh, February of 2020. But follows that up with a great win over John Castaneda. Loses to Casey Kenny. Can't fault him for that one. He's been outside of the cage for a while now, close to two years. Had a couple fights fall through. Jonathan Martinez, uh, Ludovic Shalinian. Shalinian pulls out. Uh, Vince Morales. Vince Morales even flies to London, uh, but unfortunately was not able to to cut weight or anything because he got sick somehow. Uh, so they end up canceling that fight. Now here he is fighting Charles Rosa four months later. Now the blueprint to beating Charles Rosa has normally been drag this guy to the ground, grind him out, right? TJ Brown was successful with it. Damon Jackson was successful with it. Heck, Derek Minner, who's never won or hadn't won a decision in years before he won that decision, had success with it. Before that, Bryce Mitchell, um, you know, saw work from Bryce Mitchell that night controlling him. But Bryce Mitchell was the one that laid out the game plan to beat Charles Rosa, and we had four guys that fall, or sorry, three other guys that follow that same game plan. Does Nathaniel Wood have that type of wrestling to do the same thing? I don't know, right? I have my question marks about that, but I am certain that he is the better striker here. So I do think that he can go out there and just touch up Charles Rosa on the up, excuse me, on the outside. In terms of wrestling statistics here for Nathaniel Wood, we're looking at um, one point. Two nine takedowns for every 15 minutes, 46% accuracy. Uh, and he throws up 0.9 submission attempts per 15 minutes. On the Charles Rosa side, 38% takedown defense, right? Let's count how many times he's been taken down in his last several fights. So since the Bryce Mitchell fight, we'll include the Bryce Mitchell fight. In his losses, he's been taken down 3, 7, 13, 19 times in his last four losses, he's been taken down. How many times is Nathaniel Wood going to look to take him down? I don't think that often. I think he'll look to just outstrike him from the outside. Rosa's durable. Rosa is, um, you know, tough to put away. That's something that we're obviously used to seeing. Crazy submission defense. So we got to hand it to him in that aspect. But Wood via decision is probably the way to go here. Touch him up from the outside. 
keep safe. You know, Wood obviously going up in a weight class here. The guy's long and rangy at 135 pounds out. 45, not so long and rangy, but it's going to be interesting to see what he does in terms of making up for the for the strength gap that he's going to face against some of these guys. Charles Rosa doesn't seem like a guy to me that will likely look to use that size against him. Like, let's see. uh, You know, he he does land takedowns at times, but uh, again, is he going to be able to close the distance effectively here and get his paws on Nathaniel Wood and make this a gritty fight? Possibly. But I think that Wood wins this fight pretty handily. He touches him up, wins this fight at distance. The, again, the thing that is kind of sketching me out is that move up to 145. Is it going to be too big? Is he going to be too big? Or, or sorry, is, is Rosa going to be too big? And, uh, you know, that will allow him to big brother him, essentially, as somebody was saying in the live chat. I don't think it will. I think Wood will glide to a decision victory here. Decision, you know, fights go to decision overs and Fighters to win by decision haven't really been that kind to me re- recently. So I'm just going to stay away from it, but Wood will be the pick. All right, let us move on to the next fight. Another fight, another chalky fighter. We got minus 330 on Mark D. Casey. The return on Hadzovic at plus 275. It's it's crazy. Like I said this on Olivas's podcast as well, but it's crazy the the what have you done lately for me nature of the betting game. And that's where we really need to pick out the the discrepancies, the inconsistencies, right? Like I like to always point at Andre Fialo. Why the fuck was he a favorite against Jake Matthews? Oh, because he knocked out two guys, you know, just months before that. Jake Matthews, proven UFC lifer. He's going to get knocked out by a one-dimensional striker? No. Mike T. Casey. Plus whatever dog to uh, Slava Claus last time around gets a win by Magomedding his way to a decision, and now all of a sudden he's a minus three thirty, and people think he's going to go out there and do the same thing against Amir Azovich. He could, he could, but even if he strikes, I don't think he'll be that out of his league. Right? Technically, he's a striker first. That's what got him to the show. Big power, flashy moves. You know, he was a fun fighter, a fun prospect. And then he just started hitting hiccup after hiccup after hiccup. Let me just quickly run here and and and, and see. Like, so he starts off the UFC a three fight winning streak, two finishes, one of them being that beautiful knockout punch that he landed on Timu Pakalin in 30 seconds. But then he lost to Drukar Close, split decision loss, choked out by Dan Hooker. Unanimous decision loss to Nazar Hakprast. Bounces back with two solid wins. Then goes on a two-fight losing streak, although Rafael Alves and Rafael Alves. Rafael Fiziev and Rafael Alves, not bad losses. Uh, and then obviously comes back against Vyacheslav Borshev. Lands 11 takedowns for a total of 12 and a half minutes of control time. Wins that fight with relative ease. I don't know how effective... He will be with his grappling in this fight. That's usually been the bane of uh, Demir's game, right? Christos Yagos was able to take him down six times with that fight via decision. Anatomo Connell gets him down and chokes him out pretty much immediately. Alan Patrick, way back in 2018, takes him down nine times, controls him and wins that fight. 
So I think if D.A. Casey takes that approach, he'll likely be successful, but I think he's not going to be a fish out of water should this fight be contested on the feet. So I like D.A. Casey here. I think he's a pretty safe spot. I think Hadzovic is quite one-dimensional. Bruiser of a striker. He likes to slug it out. That's really about it. So hopefully D.A. Casey takes a smart approach, looks to get this to the ground. But even if he's not able to consistently get it to the ground, he's not a fish out of water on the feet. He should be able to hold his own and even win on the feet. All right, let us move on to, what do we got? One, two, three, four, five, six fights left. I believe that means that we're going to be starting off the main card here. Yeah. It seems like I got the prelims all mixed up. So Klein and Mason Jones is the prelim headliner. Um, but at least I got the main card correct here. And the main card kicks off with a light heavyweight banger. But I do want to quickly shout out the 76 live viewers that we currently have in here. Appreciate you guys stopping by. Appreciate you guys messing with me. Almost 2.30 a.m. on a, what is it, Wednesday morning. <laughs> Appreciate everybody chilling with me this evening. Make sure you guys... Uh, Hit that like, hit that subscribe if you haven't already. That's the best way you guys can support your boy. All right. Next fight. First fight on the main card and the fight that I feel quite confident about, honestly. We got Paul Craig coming in at plus 140. Volkan Uzdemir coming in at minus 165. I'm leaning Volkan Uzdemir pretty heavily here. Like... How does Craig win this fight? And I get it. We've been saying it over his last several fights, and he has a crazy winning streak that he has right now as well, or at least crazy undefeated streak, if you want to count that Maurizio Shogun uh, uh split draw that he had in November 2019. But breaks the arm of Jamal Hill. Triangle chokes Nikita Krilov while he gets his head pounded through the cage. Is Volkan Uzdemir going to be able to find himself in that spot where Paul Craig will be able to snatch up an opportune submission off of his back? I'd be surprised. I really think that Volkan Uzdemir is going to do his best job to keep this fight standing. 80% takedown defense versus the... Let me get the number here before I talk out of my ass. Uh, uh, Volkan Uzdemir, 80% takedown defense. 26% takedown accuracy on Paul Craig. He got down Nikita Krilov, which is a very interesting takedown attempt. Four takedowns on Maritza Shogunhua, eventually pounding him out in the second round. But like, yeah, he, he got down Jimmy Crute three times, ended up losing that fight. He got down Magomed Ankalaev twice. Obviously won that fight last second from what people remember. But like, uh, I think he's going to struggle to get Volkan Uzumir down here. You know, Volkan, you know, Give up one of four takedowns against Magomed on Clive. Really made Magomed work for the takedowns in that fight. Alexander Rakic, one of nine on takedown attempts there as well. Ilir Latifi, one of five on takedowns. Paul Craig doesn't have a solid takedown game, in my opinion. I think Volkan will keep the standing. I think Volkan will find that knockout. I think he'll put him out. I think this Cinderella run that he's on right now comes to a stop. There's two Cinderella runs on the main card here. I think both of them stop. This is the first one. I think uh, Uzdemir wrecks him. And I think he gets him out of there. Volkan Uzdemir via KO, round one, round two. Fight doesn't go to decision, could be a decent spot as well. 
but I'd be surprised if Paul Craig pulls this one out of his ass like he has his last couple fights. <laughs> Fender Jazz saying, I'm on Uzmir, especially since my ex liked Craig. Hope Craig and Patty and Stupid Meatball lose this Saturday. <laughs> ah, don't kill me, Fender Jazz. All right, let us move on to the next fight. Speaking of Molly Meatball, she's coming in as a minus 390 favorite. Plus 320 for Hannah Goldie. Now, um, I don't understand the confidence behind Molly McCann at minus 400. She is not the fighter that people think that she is. I don't get it. Like, okay, I get the, the hometown narrative. I get the, you know, aesthetically speaking, for the judges, she has a friendly style, which is moving forward, throwing shots, you know, probably getting dinged up in return, but still moving forward and looking like the one that's initiating the, the exchanges, looking like the one likely that's getting the better of the exchanges because she's the one moving forward while doing so. Her, her wrestling is not as good as people are making it out to be since the Deanna Balbita fight, which was the one that everybody expected her to all of a sudden be this D1 wrestler now. Her, uh, just on the flip side, her grappling defense could use some work, right? She's the one that got taken down seven times by Tyler Santos. She's the one that got taken down five, or sorry, five times by Tyler Santos and then seven times by Lara Procopio. I get it. Goldie is not the greatest fighter. She has a lot of things that she needs to work on, but one thing that I'm certain we're going to see from this fight is the fact that it's going to be competitive. Goldie's going to have output. Goldie's, you know, going to be returning in on some of those shots that McCann is throwing. And if Goldie wants to take this into the grappling realm, I think she has the strength and jujitsu to have success. Like, how do people... How do people... And I see my guy Alex Rezzi saying Santos is a monster, to be honest. She was the underdog in the Molly McCann fight, if you remember. Because people had this crazy thing that Molly McCann was just so good after the way that she beat Deanna Bobita. I, 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 I'm, ju I'm just mystified at this line. That's why I'm just I, I'm finding it hard to find the words to continue to break down this fight. I'm throwing a half unit shot on Hannah Goldie. This fight's going to play out close. Even Hannah Goldie, you know what? I'd be a little bit skeptical about Hannah Goldie by a decision, like rather than playing the money line, play the decision. But like, I wouldn't be surprised if she throws up a submission off her back if McCann wants to get a wrestling going and Goldie gets another arm bar from God's guard situation, right? Plus 1,200 Goldie by submission. Goldie by, but by decision is currently sitting at plus 500. But even playing plus 320, plus 340, some of the numbers that I'm seeing, not a bad look. The balls on you for being able to play Molly McCann at minus 400 must be balls of steel. So I'm going to go... Yeah, they're, they're pretty much the same size like Juan Lopez is saying here. Okay, saying Molly has hard gold. He doesn't. How how can we confidently say that though? What fight did Goldie give up in? Right? 
this fight's going to be close. Definitely going to be way closer than minus 400 McCann, which is why I'm taking the shot on gold. He's simple as that. It's going to be a close competitive fight. You are not so to play minus 400 Molly McCann. She should win this fight, given now all the, the chips are kind of stacked in her favor. Hometown crowd judging Barstool behind her now too. But like that, this fight's going to be close. And you, you can't argue me off of that. So half unit on Goldie here. Sure, Molly McCann should win, but not at a minus 400 clip. If you want to pick a winner, go ahead, pick McCann. If you want to, you know, take value, per, you know, what, what you perceive as value, then I, I think Goldie, and I perceive Goldie as value. I, and I said this on the Brandon Oliva show. Um, when we talk about value, the word that we always forget is perceived value. Perceived is the the important part because everybody perceives value differently in terms of when you study a fight. I like after I studied this fight, I perceive that Goldie has value because I think she can keep it competitive and she has a better shot than whatever plus three twenty indicates in terms of a percentage. Other people might look at it and be like, "Hey, Molly McCann's Ford movement, home hometown uh, rub." You know, hometown advantage, all of that should have this fight in her favor at minus 400. I'm not going to rag on anybody for thinking that they have value on Molly McCann at minus 400. Nor should anybody else rag anybody else if they feel that way. It is perceived value. That is the point that I'm trying to get to. Perceived value. Justin Villegas saying this card is set up for a few England people to get their shine and Bob Molly will get a win. Again, I... There's always those setup shot spots, you are correct. But if the UFC was based off of setup shots and you know people trying to take advantage of that, like we would have way different champions. We would have way different this or that, right? Like Conor McGregor would have wins over his last several fights. Like that Carlos Alberg would not have lost to Candy and Zetchko in his UFC debut, right? Molly McCann's being propped up in a spot here, but I think that Goldie is going to make this a lot closer. All right. Austin G also saying, uh, at one, this is at 125, Goldie coming up, got taken down by Tiny Whitmire. I think Molly can get cage time, take down if she really needs. I think she might even get tied up in a submission of some sort. That's absolutely possible. But yeah, Molly McCann is not... Minus 400 worthy from my perspective. All right, let us move on to the next fight before I lose my brains talking about Molly McCann. We got Alexander Gustafson making his 205 pound return. Uh, minus 190, the return on Krilov, plus 160 on Gustafson. Toughest fight to break down on the card, right? Very tough because we just don't know what version of Gustafson we're getting. Like on the uh, again, another fight that I was kind of talking through with uh, Brandon earlier today. Uh, the motivation of Gustafson, right? To me, he looked like he was trying to find his groove in the Fabrizio Verdum fight. There's a lot of the jumping around, you know, staying nimble on his toes and just trying to get back to his footwork, which got him the success that he had, you know, got him a title shot, got him two title shots, three title shots, if I'm not mistaken. That's what brought him to the dance. That's what got him so successful. 
it seemed like he was trying to find that heavyweight against Fabrice Verdum. One minor slip up, Verdum gets his back, gets a choke, Dunzo. But like looking at his IG, the guy looks in phenomenal shape now. You know, I think there's something about fighting at 205 pounds that makes him disciplined, that gets him in phenomenal shape. And like I predicted Krilov on Brandon's show, but like putting that that narrative into play here in terms of Gustafson looking for redemption, being in the best shape of his career, training alongside Volkan Uzdemir, training alongside Hamzat Shmaev over there at the All-Star, uh, All-Stars gym in Sweden. This seems to be lining up for Augustus' successful return, honestly. Like, Krilov, yeah, he he might, he might have a, a grappling advantage, but who are we to say that he's going to 100% go out there and have just as much success against a bigger Alexander Gustafsson as he did against, you know, Paul Craig when he was able to have all that success before he got caught? Um, you know, the success he had against Johnny Walker, all of that was grappling-based. Tried doing the same thing against Glover Teixeira, but couldn't get it done. Is If Gustafsson comes back even 70% of what he used to be at his peak, he wins this fight pretty handily, right? Like, normally his takedown defense is not that bad. Let's see what uh, UFC stats has him listed at. 83% takedown defense. Impressive, right? Got taken down by Verdum. Got taken down by Jones. Got taken down by Glover. Taken down by Daniel Cormier. Jones. Shogun got him down once. Like, he's very much improving the grappling aspect of his game. I picked Krilov on, on Brandon's podcast, but I might be switching my myself and going back to the Gustafson side here. But it, it just all depends on if he has the right motivations to go out there and, and get that dub. MMA better up saying after we watch it, but I remember Krilov outstriking uh, Uncle Live, making uh, Uncle Live resort to grappling. I think it was like outstruck him in the sense that he was just throwing more frequently. Because after that, I think we saw Uncle Live. Yeah, he he got his number with the takedowns and grinded him out that way. But if Krilov wants to strike against Gustafson, maybe Gustafson could use his his footwork and his movement to to dance circles around him essentially and 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 get that win himself. I think ultimately I'm gonna I'm gonna pass on this fight from a betting perspective because I just have way too many question marks, especially for the Gustafson side. But in terms of of a prediction, I, I am gonna make that switch. I am gonna go on the Gustafson side. The guy looks in phenomenal shape, and I am not that guy that, you know, oh my god, the IG looks great. He's gonna win. Like, I'm trying to give Gustafson the benefit of the doubt. I, I've seen, you know, people just saying all this stuff about um, about Gustafson and him not looking great. But, like, let's look at his last run, right? His last fight, July 2020, Fabricio Verdu loses that one via armbar. Minor slip up, Fabricio gets the back, eventually gets the armbar, gets the win. Anthony Smith, he lost the first two rounds of that fight. He did win the third, but then he got finished in the fourth round. Not a good look, but Anthony Smith at that time was, you know, pretty much at the top of his game. Loses to John Jones before that. Before that was on a two-fight winning streak against Jan Blachowicz and Glover Teixeira. What I'm trying to get at is like, 
Nikita Krilov is not Fabrizio Verdum level, Anthony Smith level, John Jones level, Glover Teixeira level, Jan Blachowicz level. And those are the guys that Alexander Gustafsson is going up and 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 losing or or winning against. So the, there's a big skill discrepancy dip, or, or or a big skill dip in terms of the level of competition for Alexander Gustafsson. Aline Gustafsson, Gustafsson by by decision, touching Krilov from the outside. All right, let us move on to the next fight. Here we got three fights left, next of which is Patty Pimblett at minus 255 going up against Jordan Levitt at plus one, plus 215. I am one of those guys that are waiting for the perfect opportunity to fade Patty Pimblett. This is just not the one, right? We get so engulfed in wanting to be the first person to bet against the hype train and be like, look, I was the one that called it. You know, everybody was all gaga over the shiny new toy in the UFC, and they continue to back him at heavy chalk odds. But this is not the fight. Levitt does not have the wrestling to get this fight to the ground. Levitt does not have the striking to get the respect of Patty Pimblett, in my opinion. Levitt does not have the cardio required to push a grapple-heavy pace against Patty Pimblett. I'm sure he did against Trey Ogden. Weird fight, Trey Ogden. UFC level? Probably not. Patty Pimblett, you know, he shows that assertiveness. He shows that aggressiveness, that dominance. And I think he's going to show that dominance with the big strikes this time around. I think he lands cleanly on Levitt. I think he hurts him. I think he puts him away. Boob saying uh, Patty's been clipped by everybody. What's getting clipped by Levitt going to look like? Levitt doesn't throw with much power, right? He just throws to stay busy. That's what he was doing in the Trey Ogden fight, too. Staying away from the staying away from him from the outside. But yeah, I I think this is a good spot for Patty Pimblett to get it get the job done. Mr. Always Profits saying uh, everyone hates Patty. I don't think he's that good as well, but I'm gonna lay him. I believe he should be a minus 400 favorite, more athletic, powerful striking. People only like Levitt because his fruity celebration. Yeah. Patty wins this fight. No doubt about it. All right, let us move to... I don't need to spend too much time on this fight, honestly. It's a setup fight for Pimblet. Like, how many fights... This might even be a step down from the guys he's been facing in his first two UFC fights, right? Uh, Luigi Vendramini, Rodrigo Vargas, and then Jordan Levitt. I'm going... Uh, I'm going Pimblet. Also, I can't believe it's already been 15 months since the UFC came back from COVID at UFC 261 for the first pay per view back in front of a live crowd. Crazy. Because I remember Vargas Pay Zoo wrong that night. All right. Co-main event time. Very interested to see what the chat says about this one, but I feel pretty convicted about this side. Chris Curtis, minus 110, going up against Jack Hermanson, who comes back at minus 110 as well. 
Obviously, Jack Manson was supposed to go up against Darren Till. Darren Till, unfortunately, pulls out. In steps Chris Curtis. And this is the second story, or sorry, a Cinderella story, I think, comes to a close this weekend. First, like I said, was Paul Craig. Next here, Chris Curtis. Now, Chris Curtis has been making his name by taking short Norris fights up a weight class, defying the odds. You know, he's a big underdog to Phil Hawes, knocks him out. Big underdog to Brendan Allen, knocks him out. Starts getting a little bit of respect from the uh, the the odds makers and the public. Comes in at closer odds against Rodolfo Vera. Stops 20 takedown attempts. Beats him via decision. Now he's taking another short order spot here about a month later against Jack Manson. And this is the one he ends up losing, guys. I apologize. Jack Manson is too big. He is a great wrestler. Has that stringy, long strength about him. That lankiness about him. That lanky strength. Very good wrestling, though. Very, very solid wrestling. His body lock takedowns are great. Open mat takedowns are great. But I don't know, man. Like, Hermanson's going to be too strong for him. Hermanson's going to be able to drag this fight to the ground, and Hermanson will control him and likely win this fight via decision. Curtis is great. He's fun, entertaining fighter, great striking. He'll likely have the striking advantage, but I think it's going to be difficult for him to employ that when he's getting ragged ragdolled around the cage by Jack Hermanson. Now I get it. People might be like, hey, you know, Chris Curtis stopped 20 takedowns in his last fight against Adolfo Vieira. Again, don't forget about it. Adolfo Vieira is not a wrestler, per se. He's a jiu-jitsu player. Jiu-jitsu players are effective when they're able to get the fight to the ground in their way. Hermanson will be able to land the takedowns here. Hermanson will be able to drag this fight to the ground and, and control him there. He'll be the stronger guy. And this is where Curtis is going to realize, oh, shit, I should have stuck at 170 pounds where I am best. I'm going to go back down to 170 pounds. I think Jack, I, I think Jack Hermanson just tears him up. Sprawl or not, Hermanson will continue his takedowns, chain them together, and eventually get Curtis to the ground. I think people are underrating Hermanson because of his his recent run, but uh, I think they'll get a, a, an awakening here. Like Curtis is great, like I said, good good striking, good combinations, but when he fights guys that are going to have grappling success against him, specifically with the wrestling, and the last guy to do that to him, if I'm not mistaken, was Magomed Magomed Karimov from uh, the PFL. Also, it's crazy that Chris Curtis was just fighting in the PFL and now he finds himself in the co-main event of the UFC card in front of a live crowd. <laughs> crazy, but uh, who is it? Ray Cooper knocked him out. Magomed, Magomed Karimov decisioned him twice in 2019. That That's pretty much how I see it going. Like He's beating guys, Darren Smith Jr., Kyle Stewart, um, Jerome Hatch, Kenny Robertson, Phil Hawes, Brennan Allen, Adolfo Vieira, but none of those guys possess the wrestling like Jack Hermanson does. <clears throat> Justin Villegas saying that Raptors championship hat on a, hat on a little too tight. Curtis is going to piece him up. 
Hermanson ain't no on any special level. Chamaya showed that. That just also shows how good Chamaya is. <laughs> uh, let's go over Hermanson resume though. Lock his wins are super sus. Um, all right, let's go over. Let's let's go over with the fine tooth comb. Edmund Shabazian, you can say that's a little bit sus. Kevin Gaslam, quick heel hook. A little bit sus. The Jack Ray Souza fight, that one was impressive, man. April of 2019 came in as the plus 180 underdog and grinded him out over 25 minutes. People did not expect that to happen, especially considering that was a short notice spot for Jack Manson. But he out grappled a better grappler, uh, a better jiu-jitsu player, essentially. David Branch guillotined him, guillotined him pretty quickly. Gerald Mirchard guillotined quickly. Big ground and pound against Talis Latest, putting him away in that fight. Gets knocked out by Tiago Santos. Okay, I can take that one. Like, okay, if you want to say best win, it's probably Jockery back in 2019, maybe even David Branch. But, like, I think that Chris Curtis is of that level, man. Like, wins over Adolfo Vieira, Brennan Allen, and, and Phil Hawes. Like, I'm not the biggest on those guys. I really am not. But I really think, stylistically speaking, that Jack Romancer is a very difficult matchup. <clears throat> in terms of takedowns for uh, Hermanson, I see people questioning that. Uh, three takedowns on Jacare Souza. He had the one against Jared Cannonier, but we know Cannonier tough to hold down. Two against Marvin Vittori. Three against Edmund Shabazian. Like I, I think that the the size. And strength difference is going to be on display once these guys actually step inside the cage. Like I get it, the metrics aren't totally off. Six foot one, Jack Hermanson. Five foot ten, Chris Curtis. Seventy seven inch reach, Hermanson. Seventy five for Curtis. But like I think once they start to tie up and and Curtis feels the type of wrestling and the power and the technique, I like Hermanson. Juan Lopez saying he thinks Hermanson has stopped improving. I think that's the big issue. I think even at this final form, if that's what it is, I think he, I think he uh, still beats Curtis, man. Like Curtis is kind of a finished product as well. He's thirty-five years old. He's just showing off that he can be like this rugged scrapper, and like if he can survive that early onslaught, like he did from Phil Hawes, he can catch up and finish him. Like I think Phil Hawes was absolutely disrespecting him that night by letting go of those shots the way that he did. And then once he got point, he was like, oh, shit. Then he starts retreating, retreating and gets knocked out. Brennan Allen, like, again, Allen never understood why there was always so much love on him, right? Even the Jacob Malkoon fight almost lost as a minus 300 favorite. And then Rodolfo Vieira, like, we know that his, his wrestling is just not the greatest. Motherfucker went 0 of 20 on takedowns. Couldn't even land one takedown. I think Jack Manson lands multiple takedowns here. All right. That's enough about that fight. I'm going to be on Hermanson. I'll likely have a decent bet on him as well. All right. Next up, main event. Always like to take this time to shout out the 80 plus live viewers that we currently have with us on 3 a.m. on a on a Wednesday morning. If you guys haven't already, make sure you guys hit that like, hit that subscribe. Show your boy that little bit of support. It'll be truly appreciated. And last thing, like I said, 
Ben Vincent, look at Curtis's last fight, 20 of 20 takedown defended. Look at who's shooting the takedowns. That's all I gotta say. All right, main event time. Biggest test for Tom Aspinall up until this point. Minus 135 on Aspinall, plus 115 the return on Curtis Razor Blades. I keep trying to fade Tom Aspinall, and the guy keeps biting at me in the ass, right? And I know even after this uh, this this podcast, I'm sure I'm going to get people in the comment section, you know, wrecking me a new one, saying that uh, that why am I picking against Aspinall again? But I got to do it. Now I get it. Tom Aspinall, great striking, great power, good speed. If he can mix all those things up together perfectly here, he could knock out Curtis Blades early in this fight. Absolutely possible. That is perfectly on the table. The only guys that have been able to take out Curtis Blades have been the biggest power punches the UFC has ever seen. Derek Lewis, Francis Ngannou. Can Tom Aspinall add his name to that, to that list of guys? It's possible. But if he can't find that punch, if he can't find that knockout, how does he beat Blades? Does he out-wrestle him? Probably not. Does he get him in a submission? It's possible. But the later that this fight goes, I have question marks in regards to his ability to withhold that. Like most questions about Tom Aspinall have been answered outside of his cardio question. And I think we'll definitely see that get tested here. Because if Blades survives round one, heck, if even Blades wins round one with takedowns and, and controlling Aspinall on the ground, that gas tank of Aspinall... If it's bad, it's going to start showing by that second round. And it's hard for me to have confidence in a guy that is the favorite against the guy that's been going up against way tougher competition, been way more tested, has more tools to win this fight, essentially, for a longer period of time, at least from what tape and data has shown us and suggested to us. So now it comes down to whether Aspinall can continue his early finishing ways because if he doesn't then things get a little bit shaky in my opinion i think what um my guy uncle wheezy was saying here where is it violence is the play leaning aspinall here but this is such a great stylistic matchup yes violence to me is the under three and a half which seems to be the widely available total that currently sits around minus 175. I think we see Aspinall either get Curtis Blades out of there early or Curtis continues his takedown tour and, uh, you know, grinds on Aspinall, eventually gets him out of there in the third round. The, the Another very impressive thing about Aspinall was his was the timing on his takedowns against Alexander Volkov very impressive? Not just the timing, but his commitment to them. The double leg that he landed was just beautiful. The patience with it, just fucking beautiful. And he won me over a little bit as, as a fan that night. Because I, I was on Volkov, right? I was I was tooting the Volkov horn all week that week. And Aspinall proved me wrong. This will be the final test for Aspinall. If he beats Blades convincingly, I, I don't think there's a guy in the heavyweight division that will likely beat him. Because if he goes up against Sergan, likely takes Sergan to the ground as easily as he did Volkov, 
and either finishes him there really quickly or just grinds on him. Francis Ngannou probably can touch him up on the feet, maybe even finish him, maybe get him to the ground early and finish him on the ground. But Blades is going to be the tough one. Blades' striking is improving, but I don't think it's going to get to the point where he's really going to short off in this fight. Because I think if he tries to short off and he gets dinged by Aspinall, then he's going to go into desperation takedown mode, and that just opens up even more finishing opportunities for Tom Aspinall. So, I'm going to go Blades. And let the hate continue to pour on in the comment section about me not liking Tom Aspinall. But this is one of those spots where I need to... Um, this is where I need to plant my flag and go Blades likely wins this fight. The way that I'll bet on it is probably by violence under three and a half. But if Aspinall passes this test, I likely will never bet against him or or pick against him in the future. So give me Blades. Blades via third round TKO. Smashing Aspinall from on top when Aspinall starts to gas out and slow down. I'm going to wait on this line just as I'll wait on the Hannah Goldie line as I'm expecting money to come in on Aspinall, money to come in on Molly McCann, and we'll likely get better lines as the fight starts to get, close, get closer. So, again, close fight, but I think we'll see Curtis start to pull away the later that this fight gets, and I think we'll see Blades finish him later. There you guys go. Full card breakdown wrapped up at 3 a.m. on a Wednesday morning. Appreciate everybody that watched it. Uh, I'm already seeing people uh, <laughs> people rag on me for saying Aspinall might beat Surogan or, or Francis Sagano. But again, it all comes down to what he shows us this weekend. Like, I want to see him face adversity. I want to see him get into the third round and prove me wrong. But, like, given the physical attributes that this kid has, speed, boxing, takedowns, power, it all looks good. It's just, can he take a fight deep? All right. Love you guys. Appreciate everybody hanging with me this morning, this night, depending on where you're at in the world. Make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe if you haven't already. I will get the timestamps up and on this as quickly as possible. I want to hit the sack ASAP. I want to go to sleep. Get a good night's rest, get up in the morning, add the timestamps, and get started on UFC 277. If you want to see my early work on UFC 277, you'll be able to see it on the Patreon. Uh, link is in the description below. Uh, I won't start dropping UFC 277 content to the public until Monday of next week. So if you want early access to it, see where I'm where my heads are at or where my head is at. That's where you guys are going to be see, be seeing it. Appreciate you guys. I'll be back on Thursday for propping you up with Cody. On the All-Star Friday, I'll be back for the Ultimate Wayne Show. And as long as scheduling works out with my guy, Uncle Weezy, I'll be doing the Ultimate Wayne Show with my guy, Uncle Weezy, on my channel here. So make sure you guys drop by. All right. Love you guys. Appreciate you guys. Good luck on your bets. And I'll see you guys throughout the week. Let's fucking go.